0: Hi, and welcome to The Pollsters. I'm Margie Omero, Democratic Pollster with GBAO. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican Pollster with Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you to the polls, driving the latest news in politics, tech, and pop culture. So welcome, billions of new listeners who <laughs> heard us last week Heard our show with Nate Silver, our incredible bumper that my husband made, and our first, I think it was the first time that our enthusiastic read for M.M. LaFleur was, was on, so... That my husband was like, your interview with Nate was really good. That your ad, you guys really, that was like, you guys really like the product. That came across loud and clear. I was like, yeah. Um, Anyway, so it's been a bit of a week. And we're back in D.C., or at least I'm back in D.C. from where I was last week. And we have some real votes to talk about now. We have some real primaries. We have some real things happening. It is not just there are months away. It is happening right now. (laughs) Where are you and how is your week going? I'm in D.C., I think. I was
1: in New Hampshire. So Fox News took over the Bedford Village Inn and turned it into its own little like compound up there with a bunch of different sets. And so I was staying there on the compound. And so you'd like come down from your hotel room there, there's the you know breakfast in the hotel lobby, and then you'd walk out, to and you were on a set. And it was delightful. Um, it was fantastic. Um, and then I'm headed to New York.
0: It's kind of to... like Vegas where I was. That's like yeah. you're in the compounds. <laughs> you come downstairs. Everything is right there. <laughs> you go back to your hotel room.
1: <laughs> yep. Um, and then I'm on my way up to New York after we tape this for uh, the Fox Nation What Are the Odds show. So that'll be... I'm I'm basically not going to be sleeping in my own bed for more than like two consecutive nights until after we get like past the floor. Like there's that one day of primaries where it's like Arizona, Florida and Illinois somewhere mm-hmm. in mid-March. And like that's yep. when I get my life back. So we're going to be doing a lot of these remote. But we've got such a good system now for doing these remote shows that I think it's fine.
0: Yeah, I know. It's great. I love it. So thank you. Producer Richard and Becca, who helps us, and Laura. We have a whole team now. It's incredible. So, um, all right, well, what's happening out there? What are the top lines?
1: Uh, Top lines this week. We'll take a look at whether poor finishes in Iowa and New Hampshire have been leading to a national Biden decline, as well as the Bloomberg momentum. Um, Is he really the buzzsaw that these campaigns are going to uh, run into on Super Tuesday or is he vulnerable? We'll talk a little bit about whether the polls were right in New Hampshire. Spoiler alert, they were. Good job, pollsters. But we'll discuss, uh, as well as the breakdown of some of the voter analysis, who did well with which groups in the various exit polls. We'll talk a little bit about President Trump's approval and his political liabilities, potentially where he stands against someone like Amy Klobuchar, who is making the case that she could defeat him in a general election. And we'll talk a little bit as well about the politics of impeachment. How are folks feeling about Mitt Romney's controversial vote uh, to uh, convict rather than acquit the president on at least one of the articles of impeachment. Um, talk about some more partisanship and policy priorities, fresh piping hot new data from the Pew Research Center. And we will wrap by talking about Valentine's Day.
0: Yeah, because we love you guys. So first, the I, there's obviously a lot happening in a Democratic primary. And so as we've been saying, you know, for a while, that what happens in the first couple of contests will undoubtedly affect the national polling since, you know, in some states there are things happening because they are Super Tuesday states and some campaigns have field operations. Obviously, Michael Bloomberg is advertising in a lot of places or most places, but you see now if you look at the national trend and this is the 538 national model, the like a real quick, I mean, this is, you know, like there is definitely something that's happened now since... Voting began. Biden has dropped considerably. Sanders has inched up. Bloomberg ha- is now ahead of Warren. This is all just like really new movement. Buttigieg is moving up too. Um, and this is also with you know a couple candidates, a few candidates. Yang, Bennett, and Patrick uh, getting on the race too, so we're no longer um, you know in the model. but, uh, but this shows, you know, Sanders at 22 and Biden at 20, you know, for pretty much the entire year up until now, Biden was ahead of Sanders. So this is, that's new. And now Bloomberg's at 13 and Warren is at 13, but differences in decimal points, but that's new.
1: Yeah, this is all, I mean, it, this is a very fast moving race. And I think part of it is because, A, in the early states, you have an awful lot of folks who said, I made up my mind. Like right at the very end. Right. That Joe Biden for a long time was the guy. But if you were kind of underwhelmed and you were giving everybody a second look, you know, on the eve of Election Day, maybe you liked Amy Klobuchar's performance in that New Hampshire debate or something like that, which has made Iowa and New Hampshire a little more like volatile right there at the end. Uh, but then that's also means that nationally folks that are not in states where their TVs are constantly being bombarded by ads, unless I guess you're in a Super Tuesday state, in which case it is all Bloomberg all the time. Voters are very fluid in who they like. I mean, we've seen tons of data that Democrats actually like the field they have. That doesn't mean that they and and that may mean they don't just like one candidate. I mean, we know that Sanders has many people who are like Sanders ride or die forever and ever. But I don't think the other candidates have a base of people who are like, this is my guy or gal and I am with them till the bitter end like they could move. And so that's what we're seeing. I just wonder you know, for somebody like Amy Klobuchar or somebody like Mayor Pete, who did, you know, well in these early states or surprised or what have you, they are such non-factors in the national polling. And and even though, again, you know, that the number has been ticking up for Bloomberg, it has not been ticking up as quickly in that 538 chart for Buttigieg, like He's done so well in these first two states. This can't be like the end of the road for him, right? And yet in early polls, which are so outdated in places like South Carolina and Nevada, we do not have fresh data we're working with. But like Buttigieg is kind of a non-factor there. Klobuchar is a non-factor there. So we could wind up with like these wildly different pictures of the primary coming out of each of these four different states with the only constant being Bernie Sanders placing, you know, top two. Which then raises the question, how can he not be the frontrunner in that case? And this is where I, I, I feel like I intentionally triggered a lot of people. I like I posted a I try not to do too many troll tweets, but my troll tweet was if you are a Democrat right now looking at these New Hampshire results, you are consoling and you don't like Bernie Sanders. You're consoling yourself by going, well, if you add up the Biden line and the Buttigieg line and the Klobuchar line. On the chart, you wind up with a majority, so we can, you know, Bernie's not going to be the nominee because a majority of the party goes for these other candidates. And I'm just here to remind you that I am almost positive there are episodes of this show
0: where I I am on here four
1: years ago saying that exact same thing. And we know how that movie ended. Now, just because that's how it went last time doesn't mean that's how it will go next time, but... It just was like such familiar thinking to me that it was giving me creepy deja vu. And sure enough, as soon as I tweeted it, then like over the next hour or two, I saw a variety of people like, well, hey, but you know, if you add up these lines, I'm like, ah, 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 no, 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 we Republicans, we did that last time around. It did not work. Donald Trump won.
0: How many responses did you get that were along the lines of, well, we don't have winner-take-all primaries, so, you know, you guys had a lot of winner-take-all states, and that – you know, compounded this issue. I mean, that I think is the pushback to that. I understand what you're saying. And yes, I don't know who tweeted this out. Somebody was like, you can pick two, two rows. One is Bernie Sanders is the front runner. The other one is, you know, there's been some increases in turnout, but not dramatically with these groups. And, you know, he's getting fewer votes than last, like something along those lines.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's there. there are many ways in which this is not, exactly comparable but it it just was striking to me the exact similarity of the sentiment that was like oh i've been here before right so anyhow uh how, how are you feeling about things well so
0: you know i guess I, I'm just trying to stay focused on one step at a time with my own resistance practice this is the only way I'm gonna get through this um, you know so you look at the race being very fluid and that you can see that in how many people say they've made up their minds so the Sanders voters are more likely to say they've made up mi- their minds over a majority of Sanders voters, a majority of everybody who's voting for any of the other candidates, doesn't look like they had enough Klobuchar supporters, but of the other candidates said that they might change. That's from Quinnipiac. So we'll see what that means as, as all these things continue to move around. There was also a poll on Iowa where, no, it was a national poll and it said, should Iowa continue to be the first, you know, the first caucus should that be first part of the presidential nomination process and this is among Democrats and almost two-thirds said no with not a whole lot of differences across you know with pretty much Democrats of every stripe said no by by a pretty clear convincing margin so that's another potential fallout from the last week or so and then this poll which I thought was entertaining this is in New Hampshire, so this isn't you know national. But two, almost two thirds of New Hampshire Democrats would rather see a giant meteor strike the Earth and extinguish all human life than see President Trump get reelected. Which I guess is sort of that's sort of a mood. <laughs> I guess that's kind of a mood. A ringing
1: endorsement for <laughs> Smod. I
0: know. Sweet meteor well, of
1: death. One of I my feel, f- favorite Twitter accounts.
0: I feel like his he hasn't been or she it hasn't been. Um, so active recently. I don't know. I mean, I was like, why is this coming out from a person and not from Smod themselves? (laughs) I don't get it. Um, (laughs) I feel like that is the wrong messenger. Like it reported in very kind of, you know, neutral, neutral fashion. So that's what's going on, you know, with the primary people still feeling pretty, I guess everybody feels a little, you know, anxious about, about it happening, right? At the fluidity and people want, some certainty and want to kind of know what the answer is. And part of it is, you know, a large part of it is because the, you know, the stakes are so high and people feel so upset about the Trump administration that any kind of uncertainty in the process, whether it's voting out of Iowa or, you know, the fluidity of the race or how people feel about one candidate or another candidate, you know, I think that's just causing people to feel... Stressed, <laughs> like, or I guess, yeah, you know, well, and it's, it's, in also, way.
1: it's a little more, it's even more chaotic than the Republican side was because you have these billionaire candidates that did not participate in Iowa and New Hampshire who are kind of making things squirrely later on. So, like, on my radio show this week, I talked to um, Anton Gunn, who uh, he had done, he was, I think, political director for Obama's '08 campaign in South Carolina. And I was asking him, like, what do you make of this? You know, Biden sort of struggling and, and who's doing well there? And he said, look, the reason why Tom Steyer is like popping out of nowhere and everybody's like, oh, my gosh, Tom Steyer, who knew, is that he has hired all local people. He's built a huge organization in South Carolina He knows people where he's like they're like, yeah, Tom Steyer showed up at my family reunion to campaign that like he's put everything in there where other candidates have you know been so focused on Iowa and New Hampshire or being in the Senate for impeachment stuff that they have not been in South Carolina as much or a state like Nevada. Same kind of deal where you've got all kinds of of squirrely possible ways this could go because it's a caucus again. And and that doesn't even get us to then Super Tuesday when Bloomberg winds up on the ballot and I have been short Bloomberg stock this whole way that I, you know, and I think especially given some of the revelations that have come out this last week about his comments on women and his comments about stop and frisk and things. He's got, uh, you know, once he has first contact with actual voters, we'll see how much his money can buy. But there are all of these like weird like, it's like a video game where there's like a different boss at the end of each level, which is not how the Republican primary was. Like, right. like you've got like the big Koopa Troopa of Bloomberg hanging out waiting for you on March 3rd, which is just different than what we had on the Republican side.
0: Right, right. At the same time, there's still like one foot in front of the other campaign tactics going on. I mean, you now have folks who went on the air in Iowa, folks who went on the air in New Hampshire. I mean, there's, you know, that was, it was successful for folks who use traditional, I mean, the field operation for Sanders and so on. I mean, there's still campaign tactics happening on the ground. And now people are moving to Nevada. And you see television advertising in Nevada. I think there's an announcement of Amy Klobuchar going, you know, up in Nevada. So so you see some of that, too, which we can't dismiss as having, obviously, an impact, plus, you know, what labor folks are doing on the ground in Nevada. That's gotten some press. So we shall see. We're still in the, in the we shall see period. I think it is... Obviously, we have two states, and so now we're looking at real things, not just polls. At the same time, it's just two states, and there's still, you know, there's still stuff that's going to happen, and especially when the state's uh, populations
2: become a little bit more diverse.
0: Now, should we take a break and then come back and talk about Trump?
2: Let's do it. Support for this podcast comes from Invent Together. According to studies, less than 13% of all inventors who hold a U.S. patent are women. Black and Hispanic college graduates patent at half the rate of their white counterparts. But we can fix that. By increasing participation in innovation and patenting by underrepresented groups, it would quadruple the number of American inventors and increase annual GDP by almost $1 trillion.
0: Okay. So, meanwhile, the president and the general election. His numbers, I guess, have gone up. They're at 45. His approval ratings is mm-hmm. at 45. Okay. Which, again, not not <laughs> great. It, they're,
1: they're, glass half full, glass half empty, right? It, yeah. They're both underwater and the best he's had. So, pick your poison.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean – Right. Underwater, Besties, I mean, it does look almost like, I mean, it continues to be really high up there. And Rasmussen was, I mean, Rasmussen had him up plus two. So that's, you know, potentially part of it. But but still, you know, these numbers are otherwise mostly single digit, you know, single digit down. So it's better than he's been. He's still a long way to go before he's above water. And still, to go back to this earlier point of, you know, electability and where Democrats are going to go, all of the general election poll matchups that we've seen, no matter the candidate. And so this is NBC Wall Street Journal or Quinnipiac, you know, or anything really about Klobuchar, which is now we have more head to heads on Klobuchar. But regardless of the candidate. The Democrat is up, I mean, nationally. And that's that continues to be a pattern. We haven't seen a lot of national polls really in the last year that have shown Trump up against all the other, you know, the whole field like this.
1: Yeah. And and again, the the position you would hear from Trump campaign folks pushing back would say, one, national polls don't matter. Hillary Clinton won the national popular vote last well. I actually don't know that you would hear anybody from Trump world concede that Hillary Clinton won the national popular vote. But nonetheless, I mean, that that is a reality. uh, And that's not how we elect presidents. But two, everything about Donald Trump, like voters have heard and heard and heard again, whether it's the Access Hollywood tape or everything involved in impeachment, you name it, like voters know Whereas somebody like a Bloomberg, who in this latest Quinnipiac poll, again, is plus nine against Trump, you know, the the most, quote unquote, electable of this batch. Um, there's all kinds of stuff about Bloomberg's record that voters do not know and are not hearing if they have not lived in New York. They're only seeing these nice, happy ads pop up on their TV. So you know, again, this all, you can have a battle plan, but then first contact with the enemy, suddenly a lot of stuff can fall apart. If I was a a Trump campaign strategist, I would feel less concerned about some of these matchups because it's not in states and it's against candidates that they have not yet attempted to define nationally.
0: Yeah. And, you know, Gallup tries, I mean, there's no replacement here for, you know, the kind of internal work that one would do to figure out viability or vulnerabilities or electability. But Gallup has this thing they've been asking now for decades, it seems, like would you vote for a well-qualified candidate of your party? And then they list a variety of different characteristics. So taking party off the table or whether or not you think that a person with that description would be of your party and whether or not you think they would be qualified. So they're just taking that piece off the table and then asking how would you feel about voting for someone who's black or Catholic, Hispanic, Jewish, Woman, evangelical, gay or lesbian, under 40, over 70, Muslim, atheist, and socialist. That's the list. And some of these, you know, they've been asking since the 50s, like black and Catholic, Jewish, and woman, where, you know, massive increase in the percent saying, sure, I would I would vote for that person. And now adding to the list, under 40, socialist is, you know, they've asked twice now, gay and lesbian, they've asked a few times now. And the on, the one that's the lowest by a considerable amount is socialist, with 45% saying that they would vote for a well-qualified candidate for president who is a socialist. And obviously there are going to be party differences here. Um, but even among Democrats, it's lower tier. Let me go look at, look at the full thing by by party. Uh, you know, these questions measure, like, your willingness to say how you feel about groups and folks of these different characteristics as much as your actual openness to voting for someone and obviously it's this is detached from any one person in particular but people may be thinking about a person in particular so and just to go look at the party crosstabs on democrat you know among democrats democrats would be least likely to vote for a socialist but it's still 76% so a lot higher with democrats and a person under 40 75% and evangelical Christians, 77%. But I don't know what to make of all of these. I mean, those are still really high numbers. And, and I don't, you know, th- these are just theoretical questions as opposed to about someone specific.
1: Yeah, this is, I actually I uh, have an interview coming up that's going to air on my serious show in two weeks with Charlotte Alter from Time Magazine, who wrote a book about young candidates for office and youth movements. And we had a really fascinating discussion, I think, about... The way in which, you know, these different labels like um, so, for instance, a candidate under 40 or over 60 or 70, like why it is that actually it's older. you, You would think that young people would want a young candidate and old people might want a candidate who shares their experience. But that it sometimes winds up not playing out that way where an older voter might say. Gosh, I'm 65 years old. I know how hard it is for me to remember things. Like, And mm-hmm. you want to put somebody who's 15 years older than me in the White House? Are you kidding mm-hmm. me? And similarly, you know, with Mayor Pete, like, I feel like I know people who are exactly like Mayor Pete, who are like the overachieving, you know, millennial, whatever who I adore, but I'm also like, I know people like that who seem very competent uh, on on face, but like can't keep plants alive and I would never let them watch (laughs) Wally. And so, (laughs) you know, for young people being like, wait a minute, I know just how idiotic we are. (laughs) And for older people being like, I know just how much, how our, you know, age can be a weakness that like that can play a a role, which was a point I just had not fully like thought through until Charlotte sort of talked me through it. Hey, I don't
0: think... I say this defensively. Killing plants can't possibly be correlated to anything else that matters. I do not mean to (laughs) impugn the
1: character or electability of anyone in that vote. (laughs)
0: my son got me a cactus for my birthday because he's he's very pleased with that idea he's like you kill plants mommy so i bought you a cactus (laughs) He he was like really really proud of that gift gift giving idea okay so let's uh let's talk a little bit about impeachment because you know in the list of Gallup things was not person who had been impeached um but we uh obviously have it's still relevant and still in the News and there's still some questions about it um, that in some of the public polling. So, Quinnipiac asked in the in the national poll that we mentioned earlier whether they think he's been cleared. You know, he's been acquitted. Does that clear him of wrongdoing? And. A majority say no. Not a large majority, but majority say no. 40% say yes, it's him. 55%, no, it doesn't. It's unclear, like, what does that mean? People think of clear as, a, like, a legal word or just, you know, that's it, it's over. Then there's a question about, do you think it was serious enough for him to be impeached or were the charges not serious enough? Uh, a majority, slight majority, say serious enough. There was a question about whether the trial was conducted fairly or unfairly. There you have... 41% of Republicans say the Senate trial was unfair and 78% of Democrats and um probably people think is unfair for different reasons. And then a similar pretty even divide as some of these other questions on, you know, whether you think, are you concerned that Trump will seek help from a foreign government in 2020? So, you know, however they ask about it, they're basically, I mean, I think the fair or unfair question is a little bit different. But on the others, you still see that basically even divide. I mean, it's a real knife's edge. Even, you know, America, like, completely divided uh, when it comes to impeachment. Sim- same thing with Mon when do you approve or disapprove of the Senate's decision? 49% approve, 47% disapprove. I mean, it's it's not unlike the do you support or oppose impeachment tracker that we have been talking about.
1: Yeah, um, you know, I was struck by this number, the, the, the which comes closest to how you feel about the charges, that Trump did nothing wrong, that he did things that were inappropriate, but they didn't rise to the level of impeachment or that they were definitely grounds for impeachment. It is so fascinating to me that, like, OK, 46 percent saying, yes, they were ground for impeachment. That makes sense. And that's about how many, what percentage of Congress took that position. And then but then this divide between Trump did nothing wrong versus Trump's actions were improper, but they did not rise to the level of impeachment is like wildly out of balance with how Republicans in Congress handled the issue. So here, he had tw- only... 22% of Americans say Trump did nothing wrong, but it feels like significantly more of the Republican conference in Congress, like, either believed or, like, felt obligated to take that position where you really had, like, Will Heard in the House and, you know, a handful of folks in the Senate, like a Susan Collins taking this position on the Senate side, but of, look, the call was not, you know, it wasn't perfect, but, like, impeachment is a the political death penalty. And this was not the, this was not deserving of that. Like, I just remain astonished that so few Republicans took that position when it's like, it's right there. <laughs> it's like, then right. it, it, there's so many voters that feel that way, but there are not an equivalent number of folks in Washington taking
0: that position. I just think that's fascinating. Yeah. Agreed. I mean, it, it's, uh, I mean you you saw a few trying to split the hairs here right but then it's easy for to be you know reveal that that's like a, you've been inconsistent on that position if you're like oh, you know, he did nothing wrong and I'm just not going to move from that, then I guess like you're, you have the clarity of saying that even if it, none of the, the people are not with you and the facts don't line up with that. But if you say, well, they're improper, but they don't rise to the level of impeachment, then you have a quote from when you were, you know, from the Clinton impeachment, you know, like Lindsey Graham, like quote saying the other otherwise, or you have Susan Collins or others saying, well, I think he's, Like, learned his lesson. He's not going to do this again. You know, days before you have all these politically motivated firings and the, you know, changing of the Roger Stone's sentencing and all this other stuff, that, you know, doesn't really suggest that Trump's going to be doing anything differently. So I guess that position ends up being more fraught for some folks who are trying to split hairs there. But you can definitely but I agree with you. It's it's odd that more people don't don't find that. And then when you look at Mitt Romney, who broke with his party in a very clear way. And, you know, lots of Republicans publicly attacked him for it or said that, you know, that that was wrong. But it turns out that there's no real consequence for him in his home state. It doesn't really seem to change, you know, in any negative way. I mean, there's as many people say they're more likely to vote for Romney as a result, as say they're less likely. uh, As a result, you have half say they're proud of what he did. His overall approval ratings are are much stronger than the president's. You know, again, this is in Utah. So it doesn't seem like he's going to face a, uh, you know, face consequences in his home state.
1: Yeah, I I will say, though, as a Longstanding Mitt Romney fan, I am a little like I, you would see all these stories about folks at Democratic rallies over the past weekend. Like Mitt Romney is an applause line, and I'm ugh. like, so many people said, "Oh, he's racist." Binders full of women. Oh, he gave people cancer. I mean, like, so this whole strange new respect thing just makes me a little eye rolly. Like, ugh, okay. Well, I got my feelings out. There we go. Yeah. Like, I mean, like it's, it's maybe, maybe next time, don't like smear a man for whatever. Okay. I'm done. There we go. I got it out. (laughs) But
0: what about, I'm sorry, but what about people who are like, John Bolton is a tool of the left. We're on the left. We're like, what? The whole left is like, what? No. (laughs) What are you talking about? Like, you know, look, let's connect John Bolton to, you know, so like all of his Democratic pals. And we're like, don't know that guy. (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about. So yeah, that kind of stuff, you know. I consider
1: that puzzling rather than infuriating. I'll put it that way.
0: (laughs) That didn't make a whole lot of sense. Anyway, so Pew has a new poll that is coming out today. It's been embargoed, but by the time you're listening to this, the embargo is lifted. So thank you, Pew, for all of your hot tips and sneak peeks, but it's on, it, it shows the, you know, the issues that are priorities for people right now. And we're not going to dig deep into it, but there's a big report and folks should take a look at it. I think the first thing that they want to know, which I think is important uh, is the rise in climate change as a priority. So, um, they've been asking the series now for almost 20 years and, and they haven't been asking about climate change that long, as long as some of the other questions, but said it's the percent who say this should be a top priority for the president and Congress, and the economy's dropped. Now it's 67%. It used to be, you know, much higher, while the environment, you know, has gone up, and now it's 64%, so basically the same as, as the economy, and climate change, you know, used to be in the 30s, and now it's over half at 52, so that's been a real shift. That's just since 2015, it looks like, on, on climate change. They haven't been asking it that long. So that shift has been really recent. It's still, though, a really big difference by party uh, on climate change. So if you look at, and obviously there's going to be big party differences on most of these things, on what percent say it should be a priority for Trump and Congress. And Democrats prioritize health care, education, the environment, climate change. Those are the top things, while Republicans prioritize terrorism, the economy, immigration, you know, military uh, budget deficit are and Social Security, maybe a little bit less so, are where are, are Republican priorities. But the gap on climate change is just massive. 78% of Democrats say it should be a top priority compared to 21% of Republicans. But that gap is narrower when we're talking about the environment, 85% of Democrats versus 39% of Republicans. So when you use the word environment, it's just a, a little bit different. And the party gap is it's still there. It's, it's widening. It's widening maybe a little bit, you know, it's widening when we're talking about climate change, but not necessarily widening when you're talking about the environment, that D's and R's are kind of moving together when you're using the phrase environment. So I think that's, you know, good guidance for folks trying to bring all the sides together on, uh, on things like climate uh, or the environment, I should say. Um, and then, you know, they also break it out by age, which, you know, is in here because I know Kristen likes to keep tabs on what the youngs are doing. And it is one of the bigger differences, you know, by age is on the environment and climate, which makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah. And there's a lot of, I mean, this, these trend line charts that show that now environmental protection is rivaling the economy among the top priorities. It it doesn't surprise me, but I, I, I wonder how much of that is being driven by Increased interest in the environment. I mean, clearly some, it, that, that trend line is ticking upward. But it's also being paired with downward worry about the economy because the economy is doing so well. Like, this is something I keep coming back to when people say, well, the economy is so great, isn't that going to help Trump's re-election? Uh, the answer is kind of, but n- maybe not. If it's not the top issue on people's minds, if it's actually become something that's, like, good and fine and kind of being taken for granted, or it's maybe a challenge like cost of living or there are pieces of the puzzle that aren't great for individual people, but they're not highlighting it as like the imminent national crisis that it was, you know, a decade ago. How much does that play a role, positive or negative for him? We shall see.
0: Yeah, and I should note too, it's important that while it says here the economy is getting a little bit lower and climate and the environment are are, are growing, this is not, you know, people could say, all of these things should be top priority. This was not like which of the following. So so it's not that one must, was forced to pick one issue over another. And so that environment is rising at the expense of the economy per se. It's, you know, these are individual thoughts. Now, people may be thinking in their mind, like, wow, well, maybe I shouldn't say that they're all the most, you know, the highest one priority. But still, I think that's, that's an important, like, there are different ways to ask this question, which we've talked about before. It's, challenging to get it exactly right without it taking up, you know, your whole survey. But this is a whole survey on it. So they could do that. Now, the other thing, too, that was interesting was infrastructure. You know, that's something that is now, like, it's kind of, it. there is a pretty big difference by young and old on infrastructure compared to some of these other issues. It's one of the issues where there's a bigger, bigger gap by age. And, infrastructure has had one of the bigger bumps over time along with the environment in like a boost in the percent that say it's important. So maybe, maybe it's, you know, time for infrastructure week.
1: Maybe. It's always infrastructure week in our
0: hearts, Margie. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Otherwise I'm going to miss my own infrastructure. I have my own infrastructure stop that is happening next. Um, We're taking the train. Okay, let's take a break and then Valentine's Day. Although today I think is Galentine's Day. Is that a thing? Anyway, we'll talk about it. Okay, so we're back and we've made an, I've made an exception to the Harris Poll inclusion. So since it's the final part of the show where we put such outlets like credit donkey and such. We've included a Harris poll on Valentine's day. What people want, what do they want? They prefer what to eat with their hands. That's this right. This write up is ridiculous. I need to, I need to
1: stop you before we even get too far into this. So it is a survey. It's a survey for Instacart and they ask, would you rather go out or stay in for Valentine's day? 51 to 49. So it's basically split. Um, sure. People saying they would rather go out versus stay in. This whole the, the write up says, and they'd prefer to eat with their hands. That's
0: gross. No, I what? mean, as a Valentine, the not reason gross, why but people like... are
1: saying that is because they say the most desired cuisine for Valentine's Day is pizza. But that to me, just because you like pizza, does not mean that you're like, man, I'm really hoping I get to eat with my hands tonight. Like, what? Like if pizza and burgers are the top of the list, it could be because those are delicious foods, not because of how you
0: consume them. Okay, we're oh, gonna have to go back to our usual, <laughs> back to our rule then.
1: <laughs> I'm excited because uh, on Valentine's Day, I am. We, uh, we've got plans. We're staying in, and my husband, his Italian, and he's gonna make pasta. Not just like boil pasta, but like create pasta out of. Flour and whatever. Oh, I love that. I love doing that. This is going to be great. Is he
0: doing strands or is he doing like ravioli? I think it's strands
1: because we're going to do cacio e pepe.
0: So oh, okay. I love I'm very excited for here. this. Oh, that's great. I am coming to your house for Valentine's Day dinner. <laughs> I hope that's You're okay. invited. You're
1: invited. And there will be forks. You will not have to eat with your hands.
0: No, I'm only coming over for your Valentine's Day dinner if I can eat Chris's homemade pasta with my hands <laughs> 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 or my hands tied behind my back. That'll be very entertaining. Okay. I don't have any right up here. I have to head to the train station. But hopefully you'll stick around and there will be no meteor of death that will wipe us out between now and our show next week. Don't eat with your hands for Valentine's Day. You can have dessert, I guess. You can have some sort of like bonbon with your hands, I suppose. But like eat with a fork and knife, you know, or at least a spoon.
1: Regardless of what utensils you use, you can find us on Twitter, right At the individually, at, at Margie O'Meara and at KSoltis Anderson. Margie, you go get yourself to that train.
0: Okay, bye. <laughs>